Welcome to the Driving Discussions podcast series. Today, we are talking about the launch of renewable energy assessments in Asia, specifically renewable diesel and SEF. My name is Sunita Sharma, VP Asia Products, and with me is Amandeep Palmer, Biofuels Editor. We're going to do a podcast on the HVO and SEF that we're launching in Asia. My first question is, what is HVO? How is it different, if at all, from renewable diesel or green diesel? Uh, yeah, thanks, Anita. Uh, so HVO or hydro-treated uh, vegetable oil and renewable diesel uh, tend to be used quite interchangeably uh, these days. But um, the difference between uh, those and kind of standard biodiesel is pretty stark in terms of uh, production process, fuel quality and cleanliness. Uh, first generation biodiesel is produced through a process called transesterification, which is basically reacting oils and fats with alcohol to form esters and glycerol. Uh, with HVO, however, however um, feedstocks such as used cooking oil are used, and as the name implies, it, they're treated with um, elevated temperatures and pressures with hydrogen, which removes impurities and, uh, and allows the fuel to burn cleaner. So the end result then uh, is um, that lower quality feedstock can be used to make a product that's comparable in quality to fossil fuel diesel, uh, which means no engine modifications need to be made. It also has excellent cold weather properties and greenhouse gas savings up to an over 90 percent. And it's also compatible with existing diesel infrastructure, so it doesn't require specialized storage tanks. And this is in contrast to the first generation biodiesel, which, on the other hand, is uh, capped, uh, which, who's, which uses capped because of its inferior quality and the damage it can cause to car engines. And plus, because it's hydroscopic, there can be issues with long term storage because of its tendency to absorb water. And how do the prices differ? How does regular biodiesel prices differ from fossil fuel diesel as a result? Uh, well, we can see from our European assessments, um, you could take our class two European assessment as an example um, of HVO, which is made from waste uh, residue used cooking oil and POMI. Uh, the price is around four to five times more expensive than regu- regular gas oil and has been anywhere between $450 and $730 per ton more expensive than our used cooking oil methyl ester biodiesel in the Arrow region. Um, and for SAF, it's even higher. That's been selling at around uh, six to seven times the cost of regular jet fuel. Why FOB Singapore? Are the conventional diesel, gas oil and jet benchmarks also linked to FOB Singapore? Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, FOB Singapore, it was uh, kind of an obvious choice as the, the benchmarks for the petroleum diesel and jet are based off um, those uh, FOB Singapore assessments. So providing an apples to apples comparison for the new renewable fuels, um, it allows companies and government agencies to make procurement invest- and investment decisions more clearly. Uh, for example, ARGS provides a 10 ppm sulfur conventional diesel assessment, which you can use to compare against uh, our HVO uh, price, both on a FOB Singapore basis. Who would look at HVO and SEF prices in Asia and why? Uh, well, there's uh, an entire range of people who would look at these prices in Asia. So you'd obviously have uh, the buyers, traders, end users of the renewable diesel, as well as for uh, the conventional diesel and jet who need to know uh, what's happening in these developing markets to compare them to, uh, to compare them against um, and the established markets also. And then also anyone in the supply chain, including kind of shippers, uh, tankage operators, as well as quality certification companies. Then there's also uh, governments, banks and other financial institutions who will uh, 
uh, be watching these prices with interest as they formulate national guidelines and decide on uh, future investments. Emil, can we talk about biofuels mandates in Asia? Do you see HVO and SEF playing an increasing role? Uh, Yeah, I mean, well, right now, biodiesel and SEF mandates uh, across Asia are pretty weak compared to other regions, um, especially Europe. Most of the feedstock and biodiesel production um, in Asia currently heads either to Europe or the US as a result. Exception to these mandates globally in B20 for this is to protect their local palm industries as well as becoming more energy independent. But um, looking forward, a lot of uh, countries and companies are already in the process of kind of outlining long term clean energy targets in accordance with the Paris Agreement and uh, UN Sustainability Development Goals. Uh, so, for example, Japan and South Korea have both committed to becoming carbon neutral by 2050. Um, also, Australia is targeting a 26 to 28% GHG reduction for 2005 levels by 2030. Also, similarly for, for SAF, um, so far no countries in Asia have implemented any, any dedicated uh, SAF mandates, uh, as several European member states have uh, done or have proposed. Um, but we are already seeing kind of regional air- airlines such as Anna in Japan and Cathay Pacific in Hong Kong strike deals with producers such as kind of Neste or Fulcrum to try and secure uh, SAF products to help meet um, industry goals, which um, under Corsia, which is the carbon offsetting and reduction scheme for international aviation, the uh, the International Air Transport Association, they're aiming to keep um, emissions below uh, 2019 levels and half them from 2005 levels by 2050. So Obviously, SAF is going to have uh, a big contribution to make to that. Great. What can you tell us about HBO production capacity in Asia? How do you see this growing? Uh, well, at the moment, uh, the most significant capacity expansion in Asia is happening right here in Singapore uh, with Neste. Um, I mean, Neste are globally the, uh, the dominant producer of HBO and SAF. But uh, they're Singapore, at the Singapore plant, they're increasing it by uh, 1.3 million tonnes a year to 2.3 million tonnes a year by 2022, of which around a million tonnes a year will be uh, SAF. At the moment, they uh, export most of this to the uh, US or to Europe, as um, as I mentioned before. But then outside of that, uh, we see a handful of producers in China who have a, a combined capacity of around 870 kT a year, uh, but the actual output tends to be uh, much lower than that. And also the quality tends to be a little bit lower than Neste's or the European producers in terms of cold weather properties. So it tends to require kind of additional blending once it arrives in Europe. And then lastly, at the moment, we have uh, Patamina in in, in Indonesia that's been expanding its uh, co-processing HVO capacity at uh, several at its refineries. They plan to have around up to uh, 1.3 million tonnes a year of palm oil-based output by 2022, uh, 2022. But most of this will likely be for domestic consumption rather than export, given their strong domestic mandate. And also many countries, particularly in Europe, are looking to shift away from uh, palm-based biofuels. But other than that, there's not much that's been officially announced, but we do hear several companies uh, kind of running test plants or undergoing feasibility studies to bring production online um, Yeah, across the region, like We've heard companies from uh, Malaysia, New Zealand, uh, Japan, and also other companies in China that uh, are looking to expand capacity here. And um, yeah, so a bit of a shameless plug as well. So uh, our subscribers, they can see um, all the current and upcoming global plant capacities on our refinery database on the Argus Direct website as well. (laughs) Nicely, nicely inserted there. Um, Okay, give this um, heightened interest in HVO production. Where do you think the feedstocks will come from? 
Uh, yeah, that's kind of the big question everyone's asking, uh, to be honest, because nobody really, really knows. With what we know that is coming online or already planned, there's going to be around about 30 million tonnes a year of HBO capacity worldwide by 2025. But uh, the availability of feedstocks, particularly waste feedstocks, doesn't, uh, doesn't even come close to that. Um, the most scalable waste feedstock is used cooking oil currently. But exports from Asia t- only totaled uh, about 2.7 million tonnes between uh, January last year and September this year, with over half of that from China. And then behind that, there's kind of palm oil mill effluent, um, which is another like feedstock grade that we quote in the report. But the maximum potential output from Malaysia and Indonesia is only around kind of 1.4 million tonnes a year if you base that off kind of a 1.5 to 2% yield from crude palm oil production. Uh, so the, it means that it will require either a, a greater push in kind of sourcing, uh, say, UCO or other feedstocks from, from other here to untapped uh, resources, uh, untapped countries such as India, maybe, or to improve the technology to make other feedstocks such as algae or tall oil more scalable. Great. Thank you. That uh, wraps up our podcast. I would just say that uh, for more um, information, um, you can go to argusmedia.com slash driving dash discussions. Thank you very much for your time.